Hey guys, I want to give you a heads up for today's episode. It was recorded over the phone, so the audio quality is bit choppy and not that great. Now I have tried my best to filter the unwanted sounds, but I apologize in advance for all the interruption in audio quality that you will hear. On the positive note, if you are into science, you're going to love this episode. The conversation with Dr. Gerald was incredible. Also, this episode is divided into 3 sections. So feel free to listen to whichever section appeal to you the most. With that, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello friends, welcome to the Altered Perception show. In this show, we dissect the journeys of successful people and the path they took to reach their destination, allowing you to gain a new perspective in your journey to be successful and overcome everyday hurdles to reach your goals. What's happening everyone? Um, in today's episode, uh, we are joined by Dr. Uh, Gerald Polak. He also goes by Jerry. Uh, he's a well-renowned scientist uh, who researched on uh, discovering the fourth phase of water. Uh, he has given a, a TED talk on that topic, plus have written two books out of which his book, The Fourth Phase of Water, has been awarded the best-selling book of all time. Uh, I met Gerald uh, through our mutual friend Lali um, and Aaron um, and I was stunned uh, by the amount of wisdom and experience uh, that Jerry has gained uh, throughout his life and I'm very happy uh, that he's here uh, with us to share uh, some of his wisdom uh, with the audience and with that Jerry uh, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Sure. Uh, it's nice to join you. I have to say something about the book. Um, I don't think it's the best-selling book of all time. If it were, I'd be wealthy, and I'm not wealthy. Um, <laughs> however, the, the review ratings um, are, are really high, and um, I actually don't, I don't know of another scientific book, at least I haven't seen one, um, whose ratings are of that magnitude. And I think it's partly, it's partly because of the wonderful artwork of my talented son, who's mm. a professional artist and full of wisdom. And uh, I, I try to, uh, whatever I write, I, I try to make it accessible because, you know, if you, if you don't understand it, uh, it's difficult to evaluate it. Um, and unfortunately, uh, there are many scientific uh, writings, books, papers that are completely non-understandable, even to fellow scientists. So <laughs> I try to reverse that uh, somewhat. And, and therefore, because it's all laid out clearly, if, um, if anybody has objections, uh, they can voice their objections because uh, the, the message is clear. Yeah. And if they like it, they can also say they, they like it. And mm -hmm. so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, but it's not the best-selling book of all time. My apologies here. And here, here's what I went. Um, and I, I'll be honest here. I, I have not read the book. I, I have ordered the book, but for some reason, uh, it got delayed from Amazon. Uh, I still have to get it. But while I was ordering the book, it did say the best-selling book or the bestseller, <laughs> you know, in Amazon. So for me, it's considered a bestseller. Uh, maybe audience perspective may be different. But you're, you're right. And thanks for being open and honest about it. Yeah. So uh, with that, Jerry, um, let's get started. Let's dive directly into uh, your background, your uh, childhood. Let's start with there. Um, do you mind giving uh, some background on your schooling? Well, and your childhood? My, my childhood was a few years back. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, I, I, I grew up um, uh, from uh, an immigrant family. Uh, my father uh, could hardly read and write. He had, when he came to this country, he had to work. Um, so he, he, he missed an education. Uh, but I grew up in a loving family. And, um, you know, they, they didn't say, um, oh, you, you can't do this and you can't do that. Rather, it was the opposite. You are capable. You can do whatever you want. And that was a good message. Um, I think the message uh, has laid a, a foundation for what I do. And what I do um, in science, or maybe I'm skipping uh, too, too rapidly, but, but let me just say what I, what I do in science is, is uh, make an attempt to find truth, ground truth, truth at the very, very foundation. Because, you know, if the foundation is cracked or is not in, intact, then anything that builds on the foundation will not be correct. I think, um, you know, in the 50 or so years that I've been doing science, um, I, I found cracked foundations mm. all over the place. You know, sometimes um, an, an idea gets into the textbooks, and once it gets in the textbook, it stays there. It usually doesn't disappear. So, so we have a habit of per perpetuating ideas that might or might not be, be true. Mm -hmm. And... And the environment of science uh, doesn't encourage you to uh, dig deeply at the foundation to find out if those foundations are, are really sound or, or not. Rather, it does the opposite. It discourages it because of the way the system is, is set up um, to handle the funding of science. And if, if you want, I can, I can talk about that. But you wanted me to, to start with my own, my own background. And so I studied uh, as an undergraduate I studied uh, electrical engineering. That had great appeal to me at the time, and that's still electrical, things electrical still have uh, great appeal. And the uh, university was called the Polytechnic Institute of Brooklyn, and, and it was mostly technological. It was a really wonderful institution, and um, it was unfortunately it met some financial uh, difficulties and was later absorbed by NYU, New York University. It's now part of New York University. It's essentially the engineering branch of that famous uh, university. Um, and after that, I went to graduate school. Um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. They had a, a new program in a brand new field. And the field was called biomedical engineering. Uh, people came to realize that uh, in medicine and biology, engineering was important, uh, not just to build devices, but, but to um, examine and ferret out uh, mechanisms. Good engineers are good at that. Um, and, and so the education uh, combined an education in basic sciences of medicine and biology and engineering. And I think it was an education that, that was fruitful because, you know, once you have a grounding, you know the vocabulary, you don't, you don't feel scared by immersing yourself in either one of the two disciplines, in the engineering or in the biology. And so that was, that's where I started. And I had, uh, initially, I was studying as, as a graduate student, I, I was studying the cardiovascular system, the wow. heart and the vessels and the pressures and, and whatever. That was my, my thesis. So heart muscle made sense. And when I, 
when I got a faculty position at the University of Washington in Seattle, where I still, um, I'm still there, I began my studies of muscles and how muscles contracted. Um, and, and quickly, I was confronted by something strange. You know, there had been a, a theory, and the theory was put forth by a famous Nobel laureate, Sir Andrew Huxley. Not only was he a Nobel laureate, but also a member of the famous Huxley family, uh, produced uh, Thomas Henry Huxley, uh, mm. Darwin's bulldog, and the author Aldous Huxley. And, such. and then there was Andrew Huxley, who became Sir Andrew Huxley and won a Nobel Prize in uh, his work. And he came forth with a theory about how muscles work. Mm. We did experiments. Every experiment we did didn't fit the theory. And I guess I, I learned uh, something about the issue of uh, the towering um, scientists who still dominate. And, and you know, we, we tend to pay homage to, to those people. We tend to reflexively think that because they're so important, they must be right and everything mm. do. But every experiment we did, as I mentioned, um, uh, challenged the truth of that theory. So I immersed myself, I guess, in a, a position of maybe someone who, who looks at existing theories that uh, are well known and well accepted and tries to determine whether they make sense or don't make sense. And that was one that did not make sense. Uh, still doesn't make sense. It still dominates the field. But on the other hand, uh, anybody who who is willing to look objectively at the evidence will see so much that simply doesn't fit mm. the theory. Yeah. So I wrote a book about it, and uh, practically everybody, every scientist in the field had the book on their shelves, and almost nobody read it. Mm. <laughs> it was a situation. And it was uh, with that background and that experience that I immersed myself in water, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the theory of muscle, almost every, every theory of muscle, there were a few that didn't dominate, but over the years that had come through, almost none of them dealt with the most uh, abundant ingredient in your muscles. Water? And that's water. Mm. Yeah. So it's as though the uh, the contractile proteins uh, existed in a vacuum. Mm. And if you if you think about some proteins operating in a vacuum, it's not the same as uh, those proteins um, uh, operating in water because the water is not a vacuum, and so many things uh, differ. And so, uh, with the encouragement of a former postdoc who kept insisting that you know you gotta you gotta take account of the water, you gotta do that, and and so I I, I went to a conference where I met someone, um, a, a researcher who who had a profound impact on, on me. His name was Gilbert Ling, mm -hmm. and and Gilbert argued that in biology the water. The water was not like the water in a cup or in a, in a glass. The water was different, and it had had molecules um, that are unlike the water in a, in a cup or a glass. Uh, that's liquid water, and the molecules are randomly oriented with relative to one another and bouncing around furiously hmm. uh, many, many times per second, per millisecond, per microsecond, even per femtosecond, uh, bouncing around or whatever. 
He said, no, no, it's not like that. In biology, the water molecules are ordered, he said, structured. Mm. Um, in other words, it was like soldiers standing at attention. And he made, he made a, a, his impact on me was, was profound uh, because there were many people at the conference where I met him who had evidence to support his point of view that the water and biology differed in some fundamental way from ordinary liquid water. And uh, he didn't tell me this, but I have since came to realize you can check this yourself. You know, most of us think that, well, we're two thirds water and the water is just like water in a glass. Mm. If so, if you cut yourself, you know, you take a razor blade and you go zap. Might not like to do that, but if you, if you do it, you know, if the water inside your body um, is liquid water, it would, after you cut yourself, it would come pouring out like uh, a broken water pipe, which yeah. maybe you've experienced, but it doesn't do that. It stays in, it's kind of gel-like. Mm. And, and so it's not liquid water, it's something different. And my first uh, immersion into, into water uh, was a book that I wrote. Uh, I wrote the book to, uh, to illustrate the principles that this guy, Gilbert Ling, had developed. And Gilbert Ling was no ordinary scientist. He was, he was in the first cohort of young scientists uh, chosen from all over China to come to the U.S. to study. That was 1948. And one was a chemist, one was a physicist, and he was the biologist. The first two won Nobel Prizes, and he should have won a Nobel Prize, uh, or at least one, maybe two, for his ideas, which were were, were seminal. Well, I was, I was really impressed by all that I saw at this conference, not only by him, and um, uh, but also by the other people who, who came to present evidence that was in support of some kind of water in biology that was different from ordinary liquid water. And so I wrote the book, and Gilbert was not happy with my book because I think he felt I didn't give him enough credit and I stole his thunder. But the book called Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life was pretty popular, still is. Uh, that was 2001. That was some time ago. Having written the book and having, having shown that book and also Gilbert Ling's book to some of my students, they were, they were pushing me. They were so enthusiastic about about the idea of water being a central player in biology rather than, as most of us learn, uh, simply a background carrier of the more important molecules of life, that I decided that we had to do experiments to follow this up because it was so interesting. And the experiments um, in some way confirmed the idea of structure, the structure of water, that structure in biology, but, but the details differed somewhat radically even from what Gilbert Ling and others had been suggesting. And we've been doing that now for 20 years and we've, we've produced a lot and, and much of it, the heart and soul of it is presented in a more recent book um, called The Fourth Phase of Water.